Okay, so we have been doing... Very nice drawing, I'm sorry. That's okay. It's going away. Can you please get a picture of it so she can read Too late. I need a picture Too of late. it. Too late. so fun. Alright, so we have been talking about different people that were influential to the building of our country and we... We've looked at a bunch of different people and how they brought in different aspects of our country and how it was put together. I'm going to put some names on here and hopefully you can remember some things about some of these people. The only thing I remember is the name. That's good. <laughs> Wow, look at you. Roger Williams. William Penn. That's the one we left off on last time. There is one more that we've done. Is some, someone no, we're not talking about Eliezer. Oh, what the heck is his name? Well, guys, last time we left off on Wheelock. 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 Yeah. Wheelock. Yeah. Eliezer Wheelock. So here's who we've gone over. Stephen Langton. Is Roger's name up there? He is up there. Roger. Not Whitaker, Robin. but Williams. <laughs> All right, not Robin. Uh, Stephen Langton. He lived a very long time ago. He was. Yeah, around 1200s or so. I remember we left Bishop, off on Penn like in colleges like Dartmouth. Yes, we'll get to that in a moment. He but a, tell me about Ro, or about Stephen Langton. He was a bishop. A bishop. A bishop, yes. And King John signed it with an X. And what was it? The Magna Carta. The Magna Carta. And what did it essentially say, although we're very much paraphrasing? You're not, you're no longer in control of the church? Uh, not exactly. What it said is, the people want to be governed with some consent. Alright, what does the word consent mean? Oh, uh, like um, you are yeah. allowing, yeah. Give, give permission, right? Okay. Govern with consent. So we're giving you permission to govern us, to tax us, to whatever, but you have to be aware that we're out there. We are not just there to serve you, but you as the government are there to serve us. And this was a change because, of course, a king was a monarch, right? A king could be a despot. Uh, he could be a person that was, I am there to have all power, all complete control power, and take everything from you, and you live to serve me. So it's sort of like a totalitarian government. Absolutely, that's what it was. And they worked at some level to get and say, we want to be have consent to be governed. Now, in England, what do they have that gives them consent? That, that gives them, like, we have a body called Congress. What do they have? Parliament. They have Parliament, and they have two houses. Oh, you know? The House of the... House of Lords. The Lords. The House of Commons and the House of Lords. Uh, in that, and that is still to this day, 
okay? In, in, <laughs> and in Parliament they have that. So that's not exactly how we in America would want that, right? We don't want classes of people or anybody that's considered different. Um, but we have said in our government we want someone that is chosen by us for a certain length of time to represent us and to vote their conscience. By the people for them. By the people and for the people, okay? So along comes John Winthrop because America now has been created, but not really as a nation. Who are they under? England. Well, part England. And then we see some other things come along too. Uh, the Swedes get their their bit in there, and the Dutch get in there. That's how we have Pennsylvania, uh, Pennsylvania um, has both Swedes and and Dutch areas. And also, if you go in eastern New York, how many have ever been over in the eastern New York area, like the Hudson River Valley? No. I know you guys have been there at least, okay? But if you've been on the Hudson River Valley area, that was all settled by the Dutch. And that was a thing called New Amsterdam, okay? And New Amsterdam is was settled in the 1600s in New York, okay? So, we also, then you looked at Roger, okay, so, I'm sorry, John Winthrop. He was the governor of something. Of... Uh. Oh, um, Boston? A state. Maryland. Well, it, it was Boston. What? Massachusetts Bay Colony, okay? Massachusetts oh. Bay Colony. And that included parts of Massachusetts and I think some parts of a couple other states at that point and kind of eventually became Boston, all right? Known as Boston. He was the governor of that and he was what? particular sect of religion. You remember? Not you're close to that. He wanted He was not a separatist. He was a Puritan. Okay? A Puritan. And so they were very strict about rules, strict about living, strict about a lot of things. Okay. Yep. We were gonna purify what the church does. Okay, then along comes Roger Williams. Tell me about good old Roger Dodger. Separatist? What else? He was like credited for like individual freedom. Okay, individual freedom. What state is he wrapped up with? One time you mentioned him and then you mentioned Rhode, Rhode Island. Island. Rhode Island. <laughs> Rhode Island. Little Rhodey, okay? You know what most people know that Rhode Island from? Family Guy, which is a sad mm -hmm. thing. I think it was stupid TV. That could be. Also, coffee milk. That's a Rhode Island thing. And it's a good thing. It's a wonderful thing. Coffee milk? Coffee milk. You can actually get syrup instead of chocolate syrup. It's coffee syrup. And you put it in your milk and mix it up. That sounds yummy. It's very good. But you will find it pretty much only in Rhode Island, right there. You might get it in Boston or some other places. It's kind of, and maybe like Southern Maine, that area. No, it's not. Really? It's, no, it's a couple bucks. <laughs> but nobody else does it anywhere else in the country. Pretty much. Anyways, uh, little, little known facts about it. <laughs>
about Rhode Island also. Um, and then along comes William Penn. What is he famous for? A few different things. He's a hat guy. He's a what? The hat guy. The hat guy. And what's the hat guy on your oatmeal? Quaker. He's a Quaker. Okay. And all I remember, I say this every time, but he was in the court and his hat flew off. And then the lady put a hat on him or the guy and then it was like, take your hat off. And he's like, you just put this on you. <laughs> yeah, yes. You identified with that picture, right? That's good. Was because... He, was he the one with the colleges? No, nope, we're getting there in a second. Um, he found it in Pennsylvania. So he, yes. yes, he found it in Pennsylvania. They gave it to him, right? Yes, he wanted to call it Sylvania, which was the woods. And the king actually said, nope, it's going to be Pennsylvania. And he said, no, I don't want to be because he, as a Quaker, he wanted to be humble. He believed in humility. And the king was like, too bad. Too bad. <laughs> pretty, pretty much. And so now you have Penn's Woods, and there you go. Thus, Pennsylvania. Okay, but the Quaker part of it, like you said, was pacifists. Okay, means they don't fight. They don't want to have war. Although he was an excellent shot. He was a great hunter, and he hunted with the Lenape Indians. Remember? And he made treaties with them. Okay? So he believed in individual rights and paying people for property. He believed in the equality of Indians and women. Okay? And that was one piece that that brought. Okay? Which was not the same necessarily in the Massachusetts Bay Colony to that level. Okay? Um, but all of these parts and pieces that you get, which were righteousness, that was one of the big things from the Puritan idea, governed with the consent of the people, individual rights, okay? And this was freedoms and um, equality, we'll put in there, which was the Lenape Indians and the women in the Quakers could own property, and that was not true by many others, okay? So each state kind of brought their part and piece to how we are put together today, and you'll still find flavors of that when you visit other states. There's flavors left over from that, but we have melted all together and done a lot of other things. All of those ideas have come together, okay? And with a bunch of ideas, along comes a man called Eliezer Wheelock, and what's he do? He founds colleges for Indians and women. Okay, so he, his colleges... Well, he's got the co-ed colleges, right? He had um, Harvard and like uh, Dartmouth College, right? Dartmouth, yep, okay. I know about Dartmouth. Was it Harvard as well? I don't know about that one. No, no. We, Dartmouth was the one, I we believe. We talking about um, the mottos of the Ivy League colleges, mm -hmm. like Cornell and stuff like that. Yep. The voice crying in the wilderness, absolutely. And that is a biblical thing because you find education was a big deal, right? And that is true. One of the reasons, and just to skip back a few hundred years, about three or four hundred years, back to the time when... Uh, when Stephen Langton was around and they were still a lot of kings and there were still a lot of very oppressive governments, how did they separate themselves, the commons, from the lords? Who was wealthy? Well, wealth was one thing, but what, what did they do typically? 
They educated themselves and they didn't allow the common people to read. Even most of them could never read and never had an opportunity for education. So when you came to America, if you could get an education, it was your key to moving on. Okay, and that's up till even true today. Okay, education of all sorts. There's a lot of different types of education, but just education in general is very pushed down in other societies that are repressed. If they are trying to repress you, don't educate those people because we just want them to kind of keep going along and not rise up. Not understand like, freedoms. Like saying, like they get too smart and they realize they don't need a government because we're, we're actually repressing them instead of giving them kind of like freedom. Well, not kind of how like North Korea is doing right now, making think how they have it so good that we're actually one of the worst economies in the entire world. So it is true that they want to hold them down, uh, but it's not true. Government is actually a good thing. Okay. God created government of sorts. There's, there's been different governments that have been created. Now, probably, um, I mean, Jesus himself is a king, right? So that is a natural thing to have leaders. But you have humans that you put in a place of a king who doesn't have such a good leadership ability and only thinks about themselves and they destroy nations, right? Jesus is a great king and king of all kings because he is benevolent. What does that mean? Kind of kindness like that, like merciful? Yep, kind, merciful. How good that like, may be like the, just like the greater good like yes he, he he thinks of his people and gives it to the greater good he, he gives away of what he has for his people okay it's not the system it's the people right right he doesn't just add to his own posh lifestyle he gives what he has to his people which creates a happy government with a great leader okay so in and of itself Kings aren't bad, but the problem is you put a human in there and it wrecks it all, right? That's that's the problem because humans, when they get power, they like it they and like they want they more. Their, they bust their hanger and then they try and make laws to keep others down and yep. themselves up. Yep. And, and, and that is where it runs into trouble. And that's where you see this and people rise up and say, we want to have consent. We want you to have permission to do this to us. It's not that we don't need roads, right? If this is the way America began, if you go into uh, the first place you walk through, if, if you've ever been to Genesee Country Museum, you've all been to Genesee Country Museum, okay? You're going to walk across the big green, and you're going to come to a little tiny red building with a gate on it, okay? That gate is called a turnpike, and the turnpike simply is this, a great big arm that locks and keeps you out until you pay them money. Because they owned a section of private road and you pay the guy that stays at the house on the turnpike, he will turn the pike and open it up for you and you pay money and you're allowed to pass by once. Okay, that's how the roads were. 
And so you're going along and you want to get from here to there. I got to stop here. I got to pay this guy so much. This guy doesn't like me. His charging 10 times as much to do that. That guy says, go ahead and do it. Okay, just cross for free. And it's a mess with all these private roads. And so everybody said, let's have the government take a little from everybody and build us roads, which makes sense. That's a, hey, let's do this, right? So government has done those types of things all the way back into ancient times. The Romans were building roads. They were famous for their roads, okay? And they built roads, of course, to benefit Rome, yes. Built them all into Rome, right? Across their whole entire empire. So you see that with America, but then people say, well, government's actually not a bad thing. Government is not a bad thing. Oppressive government's a bad thing. That's when it becomes bad. That is where it becomes bad, where they take everything from you. All right, so education is a big helpful piece in America. Now, today we are gonna look at a man. All right, you know how you said the part that was money thing? Well, technically, we kind of still do the same thing with toll booths. We do. We do. Except it's cheaper-ish. Well, and <laughs> to a point, and some of those toll booths are left over from broken promises from government because the original toll booths in our state were supposed to be when that particular road gets paid for, we will stop the tolls. Yeah, well, we just keep taking the money. And then those types of things add up, okay, over time. Now, we're going to look at a man called John. John Witherspoon, okay? John Witherspoon was born in Scotland, okay? So he's Scottish? What? He is. He is. Well, he's Scottish. Does he ever haggis? I'm sure he probably did. That is so stereotypical. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. No, All right. They they probably do often. But we're talking about him, not his diet, but what he did and where he came from. So you have to understand when John was in Scotland, okay, he there was a big war going on. The Protestants against the uh, Catholics, okay? And they had fought back and forth and back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And it was bloody a lot of times. It was nasty. It was terrible. And John was growing and learning to be a Presbyterian minister. Have you ever heard of Presbyterian? Yes. I'm a little confused as to what they are. Okay. Okay, so the presbytery essentially means that there is a group of leaders. That's really the difference. They are a Christian uh, sect, okay? They believe in the Bible. Now, that doesn't mean today that you don't can't find ones that are off, okay, but in general, especially in his day, uh, the Presbyterians were straight up Bible believing people. They were very much dedicated, and the difference was this oftentimes, 
there were groups of people that said, well, we want to be governed in this way in our church. We believe that we should have a group of elders, leaders, that we get together and we talk about all the Presbyterian churches in our area and we're going to tell them how we want to keep things running. Okay, So they were done by a group. As opposed to uh, we have one called, we had one down um, in Millville called a Congregationalist Church. Okay, And that's that little brick building with the painted windows on the front and all that. That was not done by a smaller group of leaders, but done by the congregation. Okay, originally, they were governed by themselves. We're going to vote on, everybody's voting on things, everybody's doing everything. Okay, there was a lot of battling over how and who had power in this. He was growing up to be a minister, and he was going to the University of Edinburgh. Okay? And he eventually got his master's and his doctorate in divinity. But somewhere along the line, he got caught up in one of these skirmishes and captured as a prisoner. And interesting little fact, they took him and this group of people that he was with and they locked him away in, I don't know, a second story window of, uh, or second story of a castle, a local castle in Scotland. All right. And after a few days, they literally tied bedsheets together and escaped out the window. So he's kind of an interesting fellow to begin with, all right? He and his group of friends get out. They, they go because these skirmishes are happening all over the place all the time. He just happened to be in the wrong place, was captured and taken there. He gets out, he gets married, and one day he has a visit from somebody in America, okay? And that person has to do with another university. It's the University of New Jersey, okay? University of New Jersey. And that man is like a trustee on the University of New Jersey's um, board, and he comes over, and the University of New Jersey was a Presbyterian college in America, okay? We want you Mr. Witherspoon, to come and, and become our president of this college. And he thinks this is a great opportunity. And he goes home to talk it over with the wife, and she says, no way, no how, my crossing that ocean and going to that filthy America. Okay? End of story. And so several years pass. Things change, and eventually... He, the same guy and another guy called Benjamin Rush, who we will learn about later on, come and ask John Witherspoon again, will you come and be the president of our college? And they finally agree as a family. They head on over and he becomes the president of this college in 1768. Now, you never heard probably of the University of New Jersey, which is what it was called back in 1768. One of the oldest, not the oldest, but one of the oldest universities. Uh, but I bet you heard of Princeton, and that's what this is. It's Princeton University, okay? Princeton, New Jersey, right? So Princeton 
at that time was called this University of New, Je New Jersey. Okay. Jersey, yes. <laughs> and John Witherspoon becomes the president of that college. Says, I'm not having anything to do with this American uh, thought that's going on. I am loyal to the English crown. He's from Scotland, okay, and they are under the English crown at the time. But here we are. Look at how close that is. Within a few years, what's happening, okay? 1768, by 1776, you know, eight years later, we've declared independence, right? So, things are stirring all across the colonies. And as he is in here, he teaches the Bible and says, I am going to teach the Bible straight up. That's what I'm doing. And he gets and he, and he teaches the Bible one after another, classes after classes after classes. He brings his own personal collection, a very large collection of books over from England. And he puts them in and it becomes the library of Princeton. Okay? his personal collection. He builds this up and there's a, there's a library. He loves this place. He has a few great loves in his life. One is his family, okay? And the other one is, the, the greatest one that he has is Jesus Christ. And many people said a thing, many things about how dedicated he was to God. And then, of course, he loved Princeton. And he stayed there and worked there for many more years. Okay? Now, interesting part of him is eventually, eventually, he begins to look into this American liberty. He's living there now for a little while. And he starts to see what this idea of American liberty is. And they've been talking about it for some time. And an interesting part of it is, eventually, the king actually calls it a Presbyterian uh, rebellion. He says the Presbyterians are the problem. Okay? That's the problem. Is those Presbyterians have gone over there and made it a problem. So, the... Princeton, just for one little note here, just like some of the other colleges you learned about, her original motto, and I don't know if that is the same thing today, you can look it up, is under God's power, she flourishes. flourishes. Yep. Under God's power, she flourishes. I have a class to look these up to see if they are still the same. You could. You certainly could. So, under God's power, she flourishes. That, that's the point of why he's there. And I hope you're getting the pattern here. These people are here to learn their religious freedoms, to explore the things that they're not allowed to, to have freedom to worship as they, they feel free to do, okay? They want to go and just serve God. 
and they say, this is all about this. This America gives us opportunity. Remember William Penn said, it was the holy experiment. The holy experiment was that America, that Penn's Woods, we're going to go over there and not be persecuted anymore because we quake when we worship, okay? We're not going to be persecuted anymore for that. So, again, here comes the Presbyterians, and we have Puritans, and we have Separatists, and we have Quakers, and Presbyterians, and all of these different things. And even in our own community, you've seen those things. Like I talked about a congregational church. This here was a Methodist church originally, okay? And we have many, many others in our, in our country, including some Catholic churches and Baptist churches and all sorts of different things because religion was one of the main reasons people came here and it flourished. People fought for it. All right. Now, he loves his books and he loves to train people. And this is why I want you to turn to Proverbs chapter number 9 and Proverbs chapter number 8. Proverbs chapter number 9, verse number 10, please. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the holy is understanding. Alright. A very biblical concept. And, and we've been raised in this in America where we say education's important, education's important. We gotta learn, we gotta keep going. This was not always the truth in all societies. Many of them were oppressed. You've had freedom and I've had freedom in America to go to school, to go to college, to do things and learn. And I know we often feel like, oh, we didn't choose to do it. But the opportunity that you get by doing it gives you more opportunity to choose in the future. Okay? The more things you do and education you get, to a point, gives you opportunity. It does not necessarily always make you smarter. Sometimes it does. But it gives you opportunity to continue and learn and find a passion somewhere that you really like. Alright? There's something that you really like. And good education can serve as that ability to to bring you to a breadth of things where you start to say, maybe I really like that. I really enjoy doing this. Or I never even thought about that. Okay? Education broadens your, should broaden your experience. Not always true about education. But education has a great value. And even in the Bible, true wisdom and learning comes from God. The idea of it comes from God. And so we go back and say, learning is important. Okay? And that's why we, in this church, do Tuesday night Bible study. Okay? And Sunday school, we are about teaching about the Bible. We're trying to help you understand things about the Bible and about the foundation even of where you live through the Bible. Alright? So the fear of the Lord, that's the beginning of wisdom. You want real wisdom, which is true education, is if you can come out of your education with wisdom, you have been educated. Not just knowledge, 
but wisdom, where you can apply it and say, maybe this is the best thing to do for me in my life. Okay? Now, go back to chapter number 8 of Proverbs, verse number 33. And here's what it takes for wisdom to learn. Verse 33, please. Hear instruction and be wise and refuse it not. Okay? That means you have to be a good listener. Not think you're too good to learn something. Always go with an open mind to learn something new. It will help you approach all problems better. These ideas come from God's Word. Okay? And this man... Up here, John Witherspoon said, I'm going to go and I'm going to teach people about the Bible. Now, he also taught courses on logic, and he taught courses about thought patterns, and a lot about, like, John Locke and things like that, okay, about the foundations of government and thought and all sorts of things like that. Now, he was a brilliant man. And because of his foundation, just want to get you a perspective on what happens. You ever heard of James Madison? Who? James Madison was who? President. Okay? John Witherspoon taught him. Okay? How about Aaron Burr? That's a little bit tougher. Heard of Aaron Burr? I don't know who he is, but I've heard of him. Okay, fourth president, right? Aaron Burr was a vice president. Okay? Also taught by John Witherspoon. And three Supreme Court justices, ten more presidential cabinet members, twelve governors, twenty-one senators, thirty-nine of the original representatives, all learned under John Witherspoon. Not that he was... The one guy saying, America, America, America. He was just saying, here's how you focus on God. And because of that, many, many more from the Continental Congress and everything learned from him. He was a very important player because he brought in this education. Now, how important did he become? Well, invited to the Continental Congress, he becomes... Uh, representative in the Continental Congress for New Jersey, which, okay, that's great. Heard a lot about Congress. Congress gets a bad rap these days, uh, and probably rightfully so. <laughs> they, did a, they did a poor job with a lot of things, all right? But here is what his educational thought was, and his educational process was this. He said, all learning should be cursed that is contrary to the cross of Christ. So if you are learning something, he said, that is not based on biblical principles. I'm not, he's not saying you can't learn math. But he's saying, don't do things that take you away from understanding God. Math can actually be a fascinating thing, along with science, along with many other things, that can actually take you and point you to the Creator. Okay? All of those things can be used in that way. But he said, if you have lost Christ as the foundation of your education, then you have no idea what a good education is. All right? Sounds like he did a pretty good job. 
to begin with. But he's not finished yet. He's got actually quite a bit to go. He eventually begins to preach sermons about America, about liberty. He eventually writes papers, and he becomes a wanted man, essentially, because he says America should be free. America needs to be free. What he eventually said is, whoever is an enemy of God is an enemy of his country. That's his thought on how you be a real patriot. So a real patriot, no matter what country, where you are, if you don't love God, you cannot understand what real patriotism is. That is where the core of our country's patriotism comes from. Everything we have as a country is wrapped up in God's dealings with us. Anything we've ever done of greatness has been wrapped up with God's doing something great, not only in our country, but in the world. The reason we have risen to where we have is because God said, you can rise to that. You're going to follow me. You're going to focus on me in many different ways. But you're going to focus on me, and I will use you, and I will create you as a country that will be unlike any other country. All right? The Jews, the nation of Israel, are God's chosen country. But America is a blessed country because they have followed God. That's the only reason we stand as different amongst all nations in the world because that is our foundation. And when our foundation crumbles, so does our country. So that's one of the reasons we have worked to try to help you understand these things. Now, I told you this guy is not finished. He served in the Continental Congress, and as he was there serving in the Continental Congress, He signed a very famous document, one you might have heard of, Declaration of Independence. He is one of the, one of the few, I think it was 52 signers, okay, with his name, John Witherspoon, and you can find it on there if you, if you look. He signed that Declaration of Independence. So what is, what does that say? I want you to listen to a couple of excerpts from the Declaration of Independence. It is very pertinent to thought, okay? What did they sign? As we finish up, and I want to say a couple uh, quick things about him uh, as we look at this. When in the course of human events, it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands which have connected them with another and to assume among the powers of the earth the separate and equal station which the laws of nature and of nature's God entitle them. A decent respect to the opinions of mankind requires that they should declare the causes which impel them to the separation. In other words, they're saying, we have rights, and we have a right to be our own free government, separate from you, 
Great Britain, okay? But they don't say particularly Great Britain's name in this. Uh, but they're just saying, we have a right to be free. We can do this. Where does that come from? Do you remember James chapter 1, verse 25? The perfect law of liberty that we've talked about a few times. It's kind of our theme verse for this whole series. The perfect law of liberty is where that idea comes from. Freedom comes from God. God's created an ability for all people to have freedom, all right, under Him. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. They are endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. That whenever any form of government becomes destructive of these ends, it is the right of the people to alter or to abolish it, to institute a new government, laying its foundation on such principles and organizing its powers in such form as to them seems shall, shall seem most likely to affect their safety and happiness. Prudence, indeed, will dictate that governments long established should not be changed for light and transient causes, and accordingly all experience has shown that mankind are more disposed to suffer while evils are sufferable than to right themselves by abolishing the forms to which they are accustomed. In other words, they're saying people hold on to their government for a long time, for the traditions of things oftentimes, and that's not all bad, but there may come a time when we set aside all those traditions and say we want to be free. But when a long train of abuses and usurpations, pursuing invariably the same object, evinces a design to reduce them under absolute despotism, it is their right, it is their duty to throw off such government and to provide new guards for their future security. Now, they go into several pages of what Great Britain has done to them. And there were many things that Great Britain has done, treated them unfairly in many ways, caused them harm, did things with no justice again and again and again. And they go through, not a long, long dissertation on it, but they lay out their grievances and said, we have tried to address this with Great Britain's king, but when we do, he only makes it harder for us. Now, we have been wanting in attentions to our British brethren. We have warned them from time to time of the attempts by their legislature to extend an unwarrantable jurisdiction over us. All right, they try to control us from across the ocean. We must therefore acquiesce in the necessity which denounces our separation and hold them as we hold the rest of mankind, enemies in war, in peace friends. We therefore, the representatives of the United States of America in general Congress, assembled, appealing to the supreme judge of the world, that's God, for the rectitude of our intentions, do, 
in the name and by the authority of the good people of these colonies, solemnly publish and declare that these united colonies are and of right ought to be free and independent states and that they are absolved from all allegiance to the British crown and that all political connection between them and the state of Great Britain is and ought to be totally dissolved. And that is free and independent states. They have full power to levy war, conclude peace, contract alliances, establish commerce, and to do all the other acts and things which independent states may of right do. And the support of this declaration with firm reliance on the protection of divine providence, that is God also, we mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. And that is just an excerpt from what is how our country was found. John, uh, founded. John Witherspoon signed his name to that document. We mutually give to each other. We pledge our lives, if it takes that, our fortunes, if it takes that, and we will die with the honor that it takes having tried to do this. There were not many people. And Great Britain was the largest world power on the face of the earth. Biggest army, toughest to fight, best regimented troops out there. And we said, we just don't want to be under you anymore. We have no army. We have no way to fight, except we ask our people and we will stand. And John Witherspoon signed his name to that. And because of that, John Witherspoon watched as the British Army marched into the University of New Jersey, set up camp, had a battle on the grounds of Princeton, took his library and burned it to the ground. His son went to war to fight for the freedom of America and never came back. And so he gave up some of his most precious things in this life. This, the, the life of his own son, he gave up. And he did it for understanding that freedom is not just for this generation, but freedom is for the opportunity of tomorrow's generation. That's why he fought, because he believed it was the right thing to do. Not the easy thing to do, not the best thing to do uh, for his pocketbook, but certainly he had hardship because of it. Like all of, or most of the signers of the Declaration, all right, they underwent persecution in many ways. All right, we got an entire book, Signing Their Lives Away. All right, and the, one of my favorite quotes from Ben Franklin says, uh, and it says it on the back of this book, we must all hang together, gentlemen, or else we shall most assuredly hang separately. All right? Because these people put on their, their, on the line their lives, their fortunes, their sacred honor, and said, we will stand for what is right. We will stand for what we believe. What we believe is the most important thing. 
When they talk about their sacred honor, this is something you have to grapple with as a human. If you were to die tomorrow, what would you want your tombstone to be like? And I don't mean the color. I mean, what would, what would you want people to remember you as? Someone of integrity? Someone of intense thought about God? Someone that did something? Okay, accomplished something, someone that believes strongly, that helped people. What is it that defines you as a human? What is it that you care about? What will you fight for? What do you believe? We show you these things because the reason we are here today, the reason we have the things we have today are because many people said, I will stand. I will stand, whatever it costs me. I will stand because it's the right thing to do. I will stand. And you can bet, though they felt incredibly, intensely, strongly about signing their names on that document, they were signing their own death warrant for the largest army to march in and take them. Here's our declaration. There's 52 names from America. No problem. We'll send a few thousand troops and wipe them out. We got this. For 52. Yes. Your is one of 52 names on a document that says, I defy you to come and take this land. Can I think there are more people than just inside because they didn't want to hang their lives on the line? Well, there were people. But again, here's a guy who put his name and his reputation and everything he had signed in that document and saying, Here they come. He's got a wife, he's got children, so that's a hard thing. Think about it, put your mind around that, but know this, when you fight for the principles in God's word, God blesses it. Why did we win the revolution? Because God wanted us to win. That's the only reason. There's no reason that a bunch of farmers should have fought and won the best fighting force in the world. There's no reason. But God said, I want that to happen. Those are my people. I'm going to protect them. And he took this nation and brought this because of what they did, what they said, and what they believed. Right? So these are things we love to talk about, we love to look at because it defines who we are, and we have to think about what we're here for, what we want to do. Thank you very much. Have a good day.